to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church here. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, we're here for our final Advent devotion, and uh, this evening, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. This is one option for the reading for this upcoming Sunday on the one-year lectionary, uh, but it's also the reading for this coming Friday in the lectionary we're, we're testing out. So as we mentioned a few weeks ago, we're on this trial lectionary that's put out by the Lutheran Missile uh, Project. And uh, so we're excited to be uh, going through that. And we have a bit of a variety of readings to choose from because of that, which is great. Yeah, it's good to have some listed for some of the other days in the week and things like that. And I've always bemoaned the fact that Wednesdays during Advent and Lent, you kind of have to come up with your own sometimes and things. So here they have some good suggestions, which is good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So, I think when it's done, they'll have readings for every Wednesday and Friday in the church calendar, which is great. Is so yeah, no more uh, scrambling for readings for midweek services, right? No. So um, last one for Advent, then next week we're going to talk about Christmas. And then and then December 28th, I think it is, we'll take a break. Yep, we'll have that week off. So uh, no broadcast on the 28th or a podcast. And then we'll pick up again on... January 4th, which I, I imagine we'll do an epiphany episode for that. I would think so. Yeah. Being two days prior to that, that makes sense. Okay. Right. Right. We'll, we'll see if we get a revelation about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if we see the light, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. We better right. get to this text before we devolve into something we just don't want to beat. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Great. Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. 
So um, this is a significant section of scripture for a number of reasons. Uh, we'll go through this kind of verse by verse in a second, but um, the second half of the reading is what's known as the Magnificat. And uh, that's a liturgically significant section of scripture because we actually include that prayer of Mary in Vespers in our hymnal, right? And yes. I think all of our hymn books that we have, whether it be Eremus or For All the Saints, all the ones that we typically use for our extra biblical reading also include the Magnificat uh, for evening prayer every single day. So if you do uh, evening prayer for private or personal devotions or something like that, this is something that the church has been saying uh, every day for centuries, right? Yeah. And it, 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 there's so much in it. It's, it's so rich, so rich. Yeah. Yep. And we call it the Magnificat because that's the first word in Latin of that hymn of praise. Right, okay. right, exactly. My soul magnifies. Right. Okay. So we'll get to that in a bit. But first, we want to talk about this section of scripture where um, we see this instance of what appears to be some kind of faith or indwelling of the Holy Spirit in an unborn child in, in John the Baptist, right? This is a very interesting section of scripture for that reason. Verse 43, 44. Yes. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So there she's acknowledging Mary's role. Okay. Right, right. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Right, right. And so this is, this is John the Baptist, right, before he's born. Yep, yep, this is right. Thank you. So yeah, John's John's uh, a, a miracle child too because his parents were advanced in age. That's right. But he's still in utero. He's still in the womb. But then here, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, and what does this mean? Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, what does this mean? And a number of Christian traditions have interpreted this in a number of different ways. Because I, I think a lot of people have a hard time. Uh, believing that someone in the womb, someone who's not even born yet, could have any sort of faith whatsoever. But that appears to be on the surface what's happening here, right? John the Baptist, before he's born, is having some sort of reaction to uh, what Mary is saying here. He is. And, you know, God's comment to a prophet before, you know, in the Psalms, before I formed in the womb, I knew you and things like that. How do how do you deal with that? How how can it be that a baby in utero can relate to these things, or how can it be that a baby in utero? Here's the question: has a relationship with God? Yeah, exactly. That's right. the question, isn't it? Right. Yeah, because I I think most people have this idea that you know those babies don't have any understanding of what's going on outside of the womb, right? So how could they have any sort of like grasp? Or, I think most people conceive of faith as like a sort of intellectual operation or, or a belief, a mode of belief, right? Well, that's the problem with the word belief in English, right? Isn't it? Y yeah. <laughs> that, we, that we can believe that something's true or we can believe in something as in trust in it. And, and hence James Wright, you know, the demons believe in God and tremble. Right. Yeah, exactly. They believe in the existence of. So that's part of our problem is we get stuck in that we think belief is the same as thinking about something, believing in it, and trusting in it. 
Exactly. We, we have this idea that belief is only like, um, like propositional knowledge, like believing that something is true, that it's a purely intellectual operation. And so if you conceive of faith only in that way, as like some operation of the intellect alone, then you're going to have a hard time understanding how an infant and certainly an unborn child could have any sort of saving faith, certainly. Right. And then you hear things tossed, terms tossed about like age of accountability. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. if, well, they're old enough, they should know better. Right. And then that's related to their faith life. Yes, Exactly. Right. That, it, that that's then a moral thing or a cognitive thing. Exactly. Right. And so obviously there are a lot of different Christian traditions that don't baptize uh, their children, right? Or their infants, right? right? They wait until they're old enough to be able to make a profession of faith first. And then they will only do a baptism after they've already made some sort of profession of faith. And um, for the reasons I think we've described that. And yeah, because and, that... Th- and the telling point here is that that requires a certain amount of cognition. Yes. And right. ability to think. Right. And to, and to articulate. Yes. And, and that's where this age of accountability thing comes in that you mentioned. Right? I, I think people have this idea that, well, um, until the child is a certain age, uh, they're not culpable for any of their sins because... They don't really have like what it takes to have a genuine free will, right? They just do what babies do. <laughs> They're like right. incapable of sin is I think the idea that, that some people have. And, and if they do, they've never had a two-year-old around the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, David says, behold, I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Right. Right. Which and that, so, Go ahead. Well, that plays into like original sin, right? So even if uh, a baby would be incapable of committing an actual sin, which I'm not saying is is the case, but even if that were true, uh, we would still have this guilt of original sin, right? From our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that's something that needs to be dealt with in some way. Yeah. So Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, et cetera. But then Adam and Eve had children in their image. Yes. Sinful. Sinful. Right. And hence, I like um, C.S. Lewis's term, you know, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, that reminds us that we are children of sinful people and we mm-hmm. are and we are sinful. I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Right. But that, but we also have to bear in mind the fact that, you know, God is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, that God loves us and cares for us and and wants us to be his even, even when we're little and can't think. Right. Right. And that's where like the Mark 10 idea comes in, I think. Right. If, if maybe we can take a look at we that can, first. We can look at that for a second. Um, this is also a bit relevant to people at end of life often lose their ability to think. Mm. And I've had people say to me, oh, what if, what if I don't remember things about God? And my comment is, you don't have to. Hmm. God remembers you. Mm. When we start to think that our salvation is in any way dependent on us, whether it's us making a right moral decision, whether it's us thinking the right things, whether it's us, whatever. Right. If it, if it depends on us, then then we're in trouble from the get-go. Right. And, and yes, if we develop dementia or some other cognitive disability or have a severe brain trauma, does that mean that if we've lost our ability to think that we've lost our salvation? 
Right. That's right. ludicrous. No, that's a great point. And that, that's something we don't often think about. We, we think of it in terms of the children and they kind of have an easy out from worldly standards. Cause we can say like age of accountability, as you mentioned, yeah. but yeah, that's a great point when we're elderly and we start to lose those sorts of cognitive abilities if your conception of faith is totally tied up in cognitive abilities, that creates a problem. Or even or even volitional ones. Will, yeah, yeah, for sure. If it's a matter of the will, because your will is is tied to your conscience and your and your cognitive ability. Mm-hmm. So if you tie it to thinking or to volition or will, then when those go, if you develop dementia or something else, then then does that mean you're you're lost? Right. No. Don't yeah. say right. <laughs> I'm agreeing Don't, with your sentiment. You're you're agreeing with the question. You're not. Yes. Yeah. Right. But no, it doesn't. So that that okay. So what is it then? What is it that's that saves us? What well, is it's, it is faith. It is faith. But see, then people often define faith differently. Yes. Right. And you know, some of our Roman Catholic brothers say, "Of course, we're saved by faith," but by them, they mean. Uh, that God gives them ability by faith to do the things they need to do in order to be saved. Right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And others think about th- faith as simply being a matter of the of the intellect mm-hmm. or of the mm-hmm. will or something. Yep. But but faith, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right. So faith isn't something we manufacture, conjure up, or create. Faith is a gift from God. Exactly. Now, that what that having faith means is that you have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It also then means that you are spiritually alive. Mm-hmm. If we define, we talked about death, three different ways of death. Uh, when you die, the soul separates from the body. Uh, that's physical death. Spiritual death is when your soul is separated from God. And then the last one being eternal death, when the body and soul are separated God, from God forever. Right. So spiritual death is being separated from God. Your your spirit's dead because God isn't there. Right. Giving it life. So faith means you have spiritual life given to you by God. Right. right. So it's a relationship and it's vivification of your dead spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that have to do with my ability to think? Well, obviously, in adults, that's going to manifest itself in certain ways. So so it seems to me certainly that when you do get older and you do have those cognitive abilities, the faith that you have plays a role in your cognitive life. There's no question about that. It does. Right? And God uses your brain and your ears and your eyes to feed your faith as well. Right. But is God, can, can God not maintain the faith in an individual who's lost their ability to think. Certainly. Of course he can. Of course right. he can. So let's look at this verse. Verses, excuse me, Mark 10, 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child should not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So Jesus here is telling us the kind of faith that we should have or what that looks like. And 
is relating it to the sort of faith that these little children have, right? And he, well, even a little differently though, well, because he's saying, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall enter it. So that is a faith relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there's that point of receiving the kingdom of God. Right. That's the point of faith. Right. Right? Faith makes you a recipient of the kingdom of God or makes you a citizen of God's kingdom. Right. And in earthly kingdoms, there are all sorts of people with differing abilities and all that stuff. Uh, But it's someone else who creates that kingdom, and then you enjoy the benefits of being part of that kingdom if it's a good kingdom. Yes. And and that's the point here, isn't it? That Jesus, um, you know, as John the Baptist proclaimed, you know, the kingdom of God is here, right? Mm -hmm. And so little children receive it because Jesus gives it to them. Right. Right. Exactly. And that, that's the same, same as it is for us as well. Right. Uh, just as this for the little children, they received a uh, faith as a gift from God. That's how it works for adults as well. And that's, the, and that's one of the points in this, in this section of scripture. Uh, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little, like a child shall not enter it. He's saying, this is the, see how they are. They're trusting They've received this gift from me, Jesus is basically saying. Mm-hmm. So he takes them in his arms and blesses them, laying his hands on them. He's giving them the kingdom. Right. He brings right. the kingdom wherever he is. He brings the kingdom with him. Yes. And I, I do think that this illustration maybe does say something about the nature of faith as well, at least the non-cognitive side. No, it so, definitely does. But but I just wanted to link that faith gives you the kingdom. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's all. Yes. Okay, go yes. ahead. Go ahead. But I, I think we can also see from like an analogy of like a very small child and its mother. Um, there is like a sort of trust in that relationship, even on the infant side, right? There's oh, yeah. a, a reliance and dependence. And of course, even though the infant can't like articulate that in a propositional way, that doesn't somehow lessen the significance of the relationship. Right. No. Especially from the infant's perspective. No, and in some ways it it brings to light the purity of the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that sort sort of total dependence is I think also what God wants from us. Right? Just as the children are totally dependent on their mother, that's the sort of faith or trusting relationship that Christ wants from us as well. It's interesting, I read a story, a little synopsis a long time ago about moms who watch certain daytime TV shows called soap operas uh, while they were pregnant, that people ran tests, and they set this up obviously as they were pregnant, but after the children were born, they, they would play the music of different soap operas for the children when they were really like little, 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 like, Mm. you know, like a month old. The babies would turn and try to hear better when the music was played from the soap operas their moms listened to. Interesting. So the children learned and recognized music in utero. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So here we're talking about God who gives life to our dead spirits. Can he do that while we're in utero? 
Right. Well, that's kind of, that's a good transition because so far we've been talking about like infants, but right. here we have John the Baptist who's not born yet. No. Now let's talk about that because this case is a little bit different because for us Lutherans and for many other Christians as well, uh, the m- moment you usually point to as the moment you received faith is your baptism. Right. Right. That is in typical circumstances, the moment we say that we have been like kind of grafted into God's family. Right. Peter writes that baptism now saves you. Well, how can baptism save you? Oh, because it's God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. For many of us, this was the, the, the gift that God gave us. You know, that's when it was sealed that we were God's Mm -hmm. child. He put his name upon us and sealed us to himself. Right. So baptism can save you, not just going through the motions, not the act of it, but it's a spiritual activity because it's God's word. Right. Being used with water, being used right. with water. Okay. Right. Now, however, though, we have John the Baptist who's not born, obviously hasn't been baptized for that reason. Um, There's a joke in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. John sure the Baptist hasn't been baptized? Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, he has this sort of uh, reaction even before he's born. And this is a question I think a lot of people have, especially um, people who have dealt with with miscarriages right this idea well okay what do we do with children that we love that haven't been born yet and that might not ultimately make it to the day of their baptism does this passage offer us any sort of hope or does it give us any sort of theological insight to a possible form of faith that develops even before you're born or faith that's given to you before you're born well i I like to answer questions and clear things up, but I, I want to add a verse that in a way might muddy the waters. Okay. okay. First Corinthians seven says for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the, unbel- and that's if the wife is a believer is the, I didn't put the whole section in and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Mm. Now we, we kind of have to, not look at faith as being somehow something you inherit. Right. It's not that. You know, you have to believe for yourself. Mm-hmm. And having faith is a condition of entrance into heaven. So how is it that otherwise your children be unclean, but as it is, they are holy? Mm-hmm. That their God's spirit is there in parents, in the family, in the household. Prayers are said, scriptures heard all those things that God operates with his word and where his word is, then he generates faith. And I, I think that's a big part of first Corinthians seven fourteen. Right. And that's kind of the sort of modern Lutheran explanation that I think is most common when people say, like, what about my unborn child? And um, you hear people say like, well, you've been going to church and potentially they're hearing the word when you do your private devotions or when they hear the sermon or the readings in church on Sunday Theoretically, at least, they're hearing that and some effect can take hold from that. And faith can be given through hearing, as is with uh, with adults as well. Right. Um, we do have the example of David's son who died before circumcision. And David's belief was that he would go to be with his, that his, the child will not return to me, but I will go to be with him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and that, so... 
you know, we're, we're bound to these means that God gives us, these means of grace. Mm-hmm. We're bound to use his word. We're bound to use baptism, Lord's Supper. Uh, but, you know, we don't really understand all the things of God all the time, do we? Yeah, no, no, that's right. That's right. And, and I think this is one where it's God being gracious and and saying, no, no, your your children are holy. Right. That the right. Spirit is there operating in your lives because the Word is there, therefore your children. So, but we're not advocating that we somehow say, well, baptism isn't necessary. <laughs> right. That's the thing, right? Um of course, we don't want to despise baptism through this doctrine and say like, oh, it's not important or faith is inherited or anything like that. But um, the, there was a, a recent Godestine's podcast that pointed out that some of the Lutheran fathers made this connection between the promise that Jesus made in Mark 10 that we just read and this sort of idea of bringing your unborn children to Jesus in prayer before they're born. And that being like a sort of promise that Christ has made to us in scripture, that's similar to the promise of baptism, not to say that we shouldn't get baptized after uh, your child is born, but there is this part in the, the scripture we just read where it seems like if you bring the children to Jesus, then uh, you know, the kingdom will, will be theirs also. Right. And that, I think that sort of idea gives people a little bit more assurance than this, notion that we just discussed, well, if you go to church, perhaps they'll hear the word and have faith in that way. Um, this is more of a certain promise in scripture, according to these Luther- Lutheran fathers, that if you bring your children to God in prayer, uh, he will honor that in that way. Right. And then you get some people who don't believe in infant baptism who do children dedications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that's, they're, they're wanting to bring their children to Jesus, right? Right. But here we have, I think, a very clear way of bringing our children to Jesus and giving God to our children is through baptism. There we have right. uh, a command to baptize yes. in, the, in, in the Great Commission. And then we also have the explanations that, you know, like, as Peter gives, that you know, baptism now saves you. Right. So it's God's word applied in the way that God wants us to apply it with water. And God promises to take that child. And, and. If it's God who gives life to our dead spirits, if it's God who saves us, okay, we can relax. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if we're um, a parent who's lost a child uh, through miscarriage or through, you know, uh, severe illness and death early in their lives, um, we really can take great comfort that God loves and loved that child more than we ever could. Yes. And, and the biggest thing here being that even though we're bound to the sacraments and that God commanded for us to do them, and that's the usual means of grace, that's what we're supposed to do. God isn't bound to operate by those rules. He can act outside of what he prescribes and ordains for us. And um, that might be a way that he's operating in the case of these uh, miscarried. Well, and and how he's operating in the case of, you know, um, John the Baptist in his mother's womb. Yes, exactly. That and the, th- this... the thief on the cross and all these other. Yeah. The thief on the cross heard the word, heard Jesus, and probably heard Jesus praying a lot of Psalm 22. Mm. Um, so obviously hearing Jesus' words, that's what gives us faith, right? Yes. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So that that's fine. 
So remember, it we don't hmm, lack of baptism doesn't condemn us. Right. Right. It's it's, it's one of those three way. And I talk about if someone wants to send you a package, they can send it by an airplane, by a bus, or by a boat. The package gets to you. And so, too, with God wanting to give us his spirit, it can come to us through the word alone, through the word with water, or through the word with bread and wine. It's just God, because God knows we're all different. God knows us really well. He has these different ways of getting to us. And in our church, we call those the means of grace. How does he deliver the gift? Right. How does he deliver the gift? Right. You were going to look at a hymn a little bit, too, about yes, that, weren't you? Yes, there's a hymn that Pastor Rojas introduced me to. So Pastor Rojas was on, uh, was it last week? Uh, just a couple last weeks week? ago. Okay, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, that's right. Um, there's a hymn called God is No Captive Deity. It's an old German Lutheran hymn that talks about a lot of these themes we've just been discussing. And the title, God is No Captive Deity, the first line, uh, that captivity idea is referring to the sacraments. God isn't bound to act only through the sacraments. He's free to act in whatever way he sees fit. And so I thought I would read some of that since it's an appropriate uh, topic for, for tonight, if you don't mind. No, please. So um, it's a long hymn. It's 13 verses, so I won't read the whole thing. We've, we selected a few of them here that we think are most pertinent to tonight's discussion. And uh, I'll just read those right now. God is no captive deity, but all things source and measure. The Lord of life and death is he who takes us at his pleasure. When, where, and how he will ordain, and we his subjects e'er remain in all that we endeavor. He who believes and is baptized will thereby have salvation. So spoke our faithful shepherd Christ while in his earthly station. He who does not believe is lost in endless torment shall be tossed and evermore shall perish. The Lord, however, does not say that those their baptism missing to Satan's clutches must fall prey and pains of hell unceasing. For then would many an infant child from bounds of heaven be exiled that for the font was headed. To paradise the robber went as Christ had plainly spoken without this holy sacrament, nor was God's ordinance broken. It is as it shall ever be. We are the ones constrained, not he. He never shall be captive. Dear Christian mothers, then take heart, for grief this comfort borrow, that if your infants should depart in urgency and sorrow, when you commit them first to God, the heavenly gate through Jesus' blood is open to receive them. That's so good. Well, here, as, as you're reading that, I'm thinking, okay, God sends his son to the cross to die, to earn forgiveness for all people of all time. Mm -hmm. Is God going to somehow be thwarted in his ability to deliver that gift to his children? Right, exactly. It's it's like you you... you buy a, an incredibly expensive present for someone and then, oh, well, I wonder if I can, how I could give it to them. Right. Right. You know. No, no, you're absolutely right. We do have to be careful here though and emphasize that we're not implying some sort of universalism because nope. I think that's sometimes where this goes off the rails 
is people say God does have this desire for everyone to be saved, which is true. Um, and people then reason that nothing is going to like thwart that specific desire. And so right. therefore so you, everybody's saved. Right. Yeah. So universal universalism is that everyone is eventually saved. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and right. we're not teaching that the Bible doesn't teach that we're not teaching that, but we are teaching the beauty of Christ's death for all. Yes. So if you don't think Christ died for all, then you can never be sure that he died for you. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Right. That's but a good point. But if you understand that he died for all, then you understand that, hey, I'm part of all. Mm-hmm. He, he loved me enough to, to die for me. Mm-hmm. And right. that's what, that, those kind of thoughts and that message, that's what gives us faith. Right. Okay. Right. Is the beautiful, sure promise that Christ is the one, as John the baptizer proclaimed, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just our sins, but all people's sins. Right. And then by faith, we apprehend that gift. We receive that gift for us personally by faith. Mm-hmm. Faith is God giving life to our dead spirits. Mm-hmm. Normally, it's through baptism or through hearing the word. In in John the Baptist's case, um, he heard the word. He heard the greeting from Mary, mm-hmm. who was... <laughs> Whom was she carrying in her womb? Right. Yeah, yep. the, the Savior of the world. So right. it's it's God working how, when, and where he will and giving us really clear direction as to how we are to proclaim and maybe a little mechanical here, but how we are to distribute his blessings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so what it really comes down to is just trusting in those promises that God has made. And so, of course, we find peace and comfort in trusting in the promises that God gives us through baptism. But we can also find a certain peace and comfort in the promises and that when we bring our children to Christ, uh, there's the kingdom is theirs to inherit, right? And so, so maybe that's um, good advice or something to leave with those who are uh, expecting or those who are with child right now that... Uh, baptism is something certainly that we look forward to. We, we look forward to those promises that that child will receive in baptism. But even right now, we can bring our unborn children to Jesus through prayer. And we have those certain promises from Scripture uh, for those unborn children as well. And that's interestingly something that my wife and I have done through all of our married life. If we find, a, find out that a friend or a relative uh, is pregnant. That we that we pray for their unborn child, mm. and obviously when we were having when she was pregnant with our children, we prayed for them every night as well. Right, it, it's high on our on our prayer list. The, yeah, the unborn children that they're healthy and safe and kept, and and and, and that they have a, a good relationship with Christ. One of the pastoral practices that I appreciate from Pastor Ross, he blesses the unborn children uh, as they come up to the communion rail. With, with their mother, uh, just saying, may God keep you to the day of your baptism. Uh, just a, a simple yeah. blessing no, it's like good. that. It's good. And I, 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 I could do that. <laughs> we I found great I, comfort in that uh, yeah. when we were, we were expecting our second son. 
Yeah. And, it, we, and, and, and the other big thing to bear in mind, God loves those children more than we ever could. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right? And you think about how much you love your children. You would literally die for them. Like, mm-hmm. literally die for them. Christ did. Right. Christ yep. died for your children. Yep. Okay. Have we um, exhausted the topic? <laughs> well, we said a lot of good things, I think. It was an interesting discussion. Um, and an important one, too. This is one where there's a lot of deep theological insight to be had, but it's also a topic that I think pretty dramatically affects uh, like everyday life and like even pastoral practice and practice for the lady as well. Like how we, the attitudes we have toward our unborn children. And so um, it's a really important topic, I think. And I'm glad we found a way to kind of work this into the, the lectionary readings. This yeah. Is, this is really it's, good. It's good that relationship, Mary visiting her her relative and uh, the baby leaping in his mother's womb. It's yep. it's great news, good story. Yep. Okay. Do we want to wrap it up there, Will? Yeah, I think so. That sounds good. Okay. I've got a colic for us. You have a colic? Then I will um, ask you please to to pray for us. Sounds good. Oh Jesus, Almighty Son of God, mercifully come and save your people on the day of your nativity and deign in your compassion to deliver us from all the anxieties and fears of this present age, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.